Hello and welcome back to Equity, a podcast about the business of startups, where we unpack the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. I'm Natasha Mascarenas, and this is our Wednesday show where we niche down to a single person, think about their work, and unpack the rest. Today, we are going all the way to France and talking to Kaiser Snellman, an economic sociologist and an associate professor of organizational behavior and academic director of the INSEAD Gender Initiative. Kaiser, welcome to the show. Thank you, Natasha. That's a mouthful, my title, but <laughs> you know, we got through that one. <laughs> well, I always say I love interviewing professors for so many reasons, but I think one is like they are the most, I don't know, they always end up being the most fun interviews <laughs> because they have like... I think they have less of a filter, so no pressure, but I'm I'm amped for today's episode. I feel like you have such a unique vantage point and have clearly been all over the world in the world of research. I think this is because we're surrounded by students and, you know, you have to keep your classroom of 80 MBA students engaged and awake That's and, it. you know, on point. So we sort of, we say things. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like the passion mixed with like, I'm sure you get a lot of feedback all the time. <laughs> But before we get into today's episode, I mean, I'll tell you what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about your recent Harvard Business Review piece that you co-wrote with Isabel Salal. And it's all about female founders fundraising and if raising from female VCs comes at a cost for them. We're also going to talk about the importance of funding over mentorship and where we're seeing success for female founders in the tech space. But before everything, I love to start off with why someone is an expert in this category. And just based on the topic we're talking about today, you literally fit our motto at Equity, which is the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. How did you find yourself working on the numbers and nuance as your entire job? So a lot of my research focuses on things that are based on sort of the motto of like good intentions don't always make great policies. So whenever we're seeing like interventions that are more sort of based on passion and say like, oh, this is a problem and this is a way to fix it. I'm the type of social scientist that goes in there like, "Hmm, wait a minute. Is there actually evidence that this is going to move the needle? Or in some cases, like maybe there are some unintended consequences of whatever intervention it is that we have in mind that are not necessarily good consequences. And this piece is exactly like one of those. Like there's research that sort of hints at like applying a gender lens into or framing something like this in a in a gendered way is not going to be helpful. And we can talk about that in a minute, but it sort of like goes into the broader line of research that, you know, we're just sometimes very quick on jumping into, you know, interventions before like testing them in practice or looking at numbers. Tech loves generalizations. And I love generalizations because they're easy to hook onto and they give us like direction. But finding someone who's checking into those assumptions is really helpful. And it sounds like you're good at being devil's advocate in a way and always see the other side of maybe some of those assumptions. And this research sort of like combines like two worlds of mine. So I lived in Silicon Valley for 11 years, surrounded by entrepreneurs. I went to grad school at Stanford where everybody, you know, lives and breathes entrepreneurship. Like, you you know, walk across campus from library to another one without overhearing, you know, people like practicing their pitches. And when you take a ride, you know, you're more likely to run over a couple of VCs on the way home than not. Um, So (laughs) you sort of like, you're surrounded by that air. But research-wise, like I do a lot of work on inequality, whether it's based on gender or race or social class. So this particular piece sort of combines the two worlds of, you know, gender inequality. 
and entrepreneurship. Yeah. So let's, yeah, let's get right into it. So the piece, the headline, I think sums it up perfectly. It's quote, for female founders, fundraising only from female VCs comes at a cost. It was published earlier this month. And I mean, what a way to kick off the year. And I want to start with what inspired the research to begin with. And then we'll get into the numbers. Sure. So so this is joint work with my former graduate student, Isabel Salah, who's now an assistant professor at ESSEC, and very much sort of like aligns like both of our research interests. And one of the things that we noticed, like when looking at gender gaps in entrepreneurship is like the same mantra as like, oh, female founded companies only get 2% of the venture capital out there. Right. We've been seeing the same numbers. Like sometimes, you know, there's a little bit of a movement in the needle and then next year it comes back. But it's being pretty stagnant. So it's no wonder that then we come up with this sort of, you know, policy interventions or suggestions like how to actually solve the problem. And then one thing that struck us is like we kept hearing over and over again, it's like it's a women's problem. Only like if we had more female VCs, like the problem would go away. Totally. I mean, there's a nonprofit around that, like, yeah. you know, All Raise is a nonprofit that's out there. I'm sure you've heard of them. And their whole thing is let's increase the number of female check writers in the ecosystem. It will have this trickle down effect. And it sounds like you looked into if that actually makes a difference. So and by no means am I like against like getting more women on around on that side of the table as well, because women are underrepresented on both sides. Totally. But then what sort of like as is a potentially harmful message is that it's only women who should be you know, financing female founded firms or, you know, like if you are a a VC firm, like let's stick the female partner in front of the female entrepreneurs as if one of the guys didn't do it. And this sort of came up in many times in our interviews, like like you have the, the one female partner in the firm and she's like, well, I have to take care of the women. It was such a weird, like gendered sort of a solution that didn't strike right. And as somebody who's you know, coming from sociology, studies on affirmative action and education are something that, you know, sociologists have been obsessing about for decades. And in that line of work, it's a well-known fact that, you know, the one side of any type of affirmative action program is that it makes us look at the candidates differently. So even though somebody has gotten into a school with their credentials, if we know that there is an affirmative action, people sort of start to automatically assume that they weren't as good as the other candidates, that the only reason that they got in is that because they benefited from the affirmative action program. The diversity hire or student or acceptee. The diversity hire or whatever bar you sort of adjust, like do we need, you know, whether it's race or social class or whatever it is, like pick your dimension, right? Um, but that is a well-known fact in sociology and psychology that affirmative action sort of changes, like reframes our thinking. And as we were sort of hearing these stories about like, oh, we need more women who only invest in women or, you know, we heard this advice being given to female entrepreneurs like, oh, you should go and talk to a female VC instead of a male VC because they are more likely to invest in you. We sort of start to see the same theme repeat, yeah, which is like, we're giving a phenomena a different reason. Why not like say like, oh, we're investing in you because your idea is great. When we see this like advice giving like, oh, it's like women should be helping other women out or it's like sisters investing in sisters. Like that sort of changes the narrative that we usually hear around successful pitches, right? What got you to starting, you know, what grew to then 2000 venture backed companies? What were you looking for when you were talking to that, you know, massive group of startups? 
So the first idea was like, you know, like we have a hunch, like we know that this is the way that it works in other settings like education, but like we would not be any better than the, the the people that we're criticizing if we actually didn't have hard data on it. One of our sort of early ideas was like, oh, maybe we'll look at funds, not VCs. Okay. But at that time, like we didn't have that many funds working on gendered gendered investment strategies. So then we decided to move this to the VC partner level. And then we thought like, let's just like take the most sort of broadest possible sweep we can find. And we went through Crunchbase identified startups in the US and went through like their characteristics and then investors. And that's sort of how we built the sample of the 2000 something firms that we followed up. We sliced and diced the data in different ways. Like, so we categorized female founded firms as firms that had a female founder. We also run the same numbers looking at firms that had a female CEO okay, or only female founded firms. And obviously there are very few of those firms that are have only female founders and only female VCs. So that's right. why we kept the definition broader, which is sort of in line with how we usually talk about female founded firms, meaning they're the non-all male founded firms. <laughs> uh, I, I'm like, I almost want to jump to like all the ways this makes me feel, but we'll stick on the data for one, a few <laughs> I more minutes. I want to know that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm so curious how this was received. But before that, the high-level number or this stat that's stuck in my mind is eventually you found that women-led firms whose first round was raised exclusively from female VCs were 2x less likely to raise a second round, regardless of initial funding round size, industry, geographic location, or even the prestige of the investor. And I mean, that is like really jarring, jarring to read. And I want to hear more about how you proved to like how, how we knew it was because, you know, female VCs versus a coincidence versus I mean, there's there's so many factors in play, but it sounds like you kept doing some experimentation after. Sure. So like when it comes to observational data, like these are always the questions like, you know, yeah, we don't know like what is causing what. So the only thing that we're observing are associations. So that was our first task is to see like, are these associations true? So for what really struck us a big finding was that it's not the female VCs. So when we compare male founded firms, for them, it doesn't matter. It's the first round investor, a male or a female VC. So we could sort of rule out the possibility that, oh, female VCs are somehow worse at picking investments than male VCs, because that's not true for male founded firms. So we had a long list of like potential problems with the analysis. So yeah. the female VC was one of them. Then we thought like, oh, well, maybe they just like operate in very different types of industries. So then we constructed a sample of 540 firms that were identical in terms of the industries that they were operating in, their geographical location, the fact if they had patents or not. So we tried to like find a matched sample, so like a synthetic twin for each of our female founded firms. So we picked (laughs) all of the female founded firms and then we found a, a twin for them. The only difference being is that they did not have any female founders in the firm. And then we compared those two samples. And so that way we could sort of rule out that it's because female founded firms are somehow inherently really different in terms of what they do. I mean, they can be, but like when we narrow it down to these like identical firms, we still find the effect. Got it. And going back to the point you made right before on like, yes, I'm sure someone who reads the story or maybe just the headline could make the lazy assumption that it's because female founders are bad at their job. So how did you again try and combat that belief? So the way that we thought about it is like, if it this, and this is never like a real hypothesis for us, but for, you know, a nasty critic, it could yes. be that this is 
somehow evidence of female VCs not knowing how to pick winners. Because when male founded firms have a female VC, their odds of getting a second round of funding is exactly the same as male founded firms when they have a, a male VC. So that sort of like told us that it's not because of the female VC, it is something about the combo. Yeah. So when we look at all of the other combos, so male founded firm with a male VC, only or female only or a mixed team all of these are identical in terms of their chances of getting a second round yeah got it when we look at female founded firms again like they do just as well as male founded firms as long as they have at least one male investor in their first initial round so whether it's just male vcs or a mixed team their chances are not any different from male founded firms and for us that was sort of you know good news like we can't also say like all women founders struggle. No, they don't. Right. The only combo where they struggle is when it's a female founded firm with an only female investor during their first round. Got it. Okay. I definitely follow that. I think like <laughs> one idea that I had when, as you were explaining that was like, yeah. I've interviewed a ton of VCs over the past, I guess like 12 months really that were petitioning for their founders to focus on having a more diverse cap table. Um, And I realize that you're saying it's exclusively from female VCs that have shown in the data that there's a disadvantage in the next round. But I am now wondering how that squares up with what you're saying, because I think there has been this push to get more diverse cap tables. And when does that come at a cost is definitely like that evergreen question that you're looking into. Yeah. So the diverse cap table for us, like seems to be like, if one can say the fix. So if you're a female founder firm and you have a diverse cap table, you're set just as you are if you are a male founded firm. Oh, that makes me so happy. <laughs> so one problem we still have in our with this with this analysis is that so we ruled out it's not the female VCs who are bad at picking, you know, investments. It's not the female founders who are bad at like coming up with ideas. Right. But this is sort of like, you know, being our own devil's advocate. It's like, well, if the female VCs lower the bar for female founded firms, which they could then it would not be a surprise that they would have a harder time raising more money if the business idea wasn't as good to begin with. Sure. And this is the problem like when we're looking at observational data from archives, like we're not the ones who are controlling for quality. And quality is really, really hard to measure. I mean, it's hard for us and it's really hard for the VC. So when you have, you know, an early stage company with 10 PowerPoint slides and no sales, how do we really estimate quality, right? So for that, we decided to run an experiment that would then allow us to control everything, including the quality, the pitch. So this is sort of like the second stage of our research, where we decided that the only way to really make sure that it is not that the female investors are lowering the bar when it comes to funding female funded firms is by presenting identical pitches. So what we did is we recorded a pitch presentation. It was an identical pitch. The only thing that we changed was the voice of the narrator and the gender of the investor. So they presented the same idea, like roughly two minutes following a sort of a standard pitch. And we either had a male voice as the entrepreneur or the founder. And then there was one slide where they said that they already had received a seed round of investing from a investor. And then it had either a male or a female picture and a name. Yeah. And then we asked this, we did this like with a sample of MBA students. We did this with people 
from walking on the street. And we did this with a sample of investors. So we repeated the experiment with multiple different samples. But in all of these samples, what we find is that when the female um, founder had a male investor, the pitch was rated absolutely identical in terms of quality. So we asked them about the viability of the business and so on as in the in the male founded firms. Yeah. And the competence of the female founder was identical to the male founder, except in the condition where the female founder was backed by a female VC. So in that condition, when a female founder had received money from a female investor, all of the participants, yeah. our MBA students and our investors, felt that the business idea was a little bit lower of quality compared to the other. Um, it's the same idea. No, it's the same pitch. It's insane. This is like, to me, this was like where my, my jaw dropped when I was reading the story, which yeah. is like the people's listening to the same pitch, but just the difference of it being led by a female investor is what made it seem lesser quality. I think that is like the proof that you're exactly looking for. Yeah. So then it's not the quality that is different because, you know, we're controlling for quality. So then it's something about our biases, the way that our psychology works, that is at yeah. play, which is... On the one hand, like, you know, this is nice when you're able to isolate the effect. So Isabel and I have this like routine, like when we're looking at our findings, we go, yay. And then no, because, you know, reality is like this sucks, right? <laughs> so it's, it's great that you have a reason, but it still sucks. Right. <laughs> well, and I think like, as you kind of started off explaining, this research was somewhat triggered by the idea that it was looked at as a solution for so long, still today, that more female investors will lead to an increase in female-founded companies getting fundraising. And so I feel like this is like revolutionary to be saying out loud, even if it is bad news. I think it's just like, it goes back to something I, you know, when I talk to female VCs sometimes, they'll tell me, but mostly off the record, well, they'll be like, listen, it's not my job to bring diversity to the table. Like, why is that something that my male counterparts are not being asked to do? Like, why do I have to do even more work than my counterparts. And I feel like, I mean, there's so much there, but it just makes me think a little bit deeper about the numbers and nuance behind the headlines. <laughs> yeah, and the same, the same comes with entrepreneurs. Like multiple, you know, female founders who we talked to, like they say, like, you know, I'm really skeptical of receiving any pink money because I'm a founder, I'm an engineer, I'm a, you know, scientist. I'm not a girl. Right. That's not like the identity that they want to lead with, which is a little bit like when, you know, Marissa Meyer was saying like, I'm not a girl at Google. I'm an engineering at Google. Like, you know, see me uh, like we, you know, people have like multiple sides to their identities. We're like complicated, you know, prisons. Like we all have like different sides. But what is the side that you want to showcase to the world? Yeah, right. That should sort of be up to us. Like, do you want to be seen as... A journalist, do you want to be seen as a woman? You know, are you a mother? Right. Are you a daughter? Like the thing that, you know, about this like gendered sort of investment strategies hits us is like you're sort of being pigeonholed. You don't have a choice. Like you have to be the female founder. You're not the founder. I think the area that like I'll push back or at least like yeah. something I think about a lot is like these diversity focused funds or investment vehicles. After George Floyd was murdered, we saw a lot of I don't say a lot, but we saw capital dedicated towards solely investing in Black founders. And I know that's a different conversation than female founders, but I've also seen explicitly female-founded only VC firms. And I guess I wonder what you think about the funds that exist only to back 
diverse founders in any kind of flavor that we can pick, whether it's race, whether it's gender, whether it's background. And if those are helping or hurting, because maybe it's a separate study, but I just, I don't know. I think I'm wondering if those are hurting more than helping. So I think it's a little bit more complicated and nuanced, you know, to bring it back to your theme word. My favorite word. (laughs) Your favorite word is that, you know, the fact that the money is there and it's earmarked and it's slotted, you know, that's a good thing, right? Like, that means that you know there will be a pool of resources that is going to go to the right address that is addressing a problem, right? But then we do still have a choice of how do we talk about this? It's the same thing as with like affirmative action or board quotas. Like I've also done some research on, on gender quotas in, in corporate boards. And sometimes female directors say like, you know, I'd rather pick a board that didn't have a quota because then everyone knows that I've been chosen because, you know, I kick ass, you know, like I'm really, really good at what I do. I'm an industry expert. I'm not chosen because of my gender. Yeah. And they are the same person, but they just, they're seen differently. And we see the same phenomenon. Like if we show people a press release where we say a company has nominated a female director, and then we just like have the bio. And then we say company increases board diversity And then it's the same press release with the same bio. And then we ask people about how competent do you think this person is? You can guess what the result is, right? Like, so the the version of the press release that mentions increasing diversity makes people think that the female director is not as competent as she is. So it's the same phenomena. So with these funds that are targeted and earmarked for underrepresented groups, they're the great thing, but maybe they don't have to be framed and sold as is. It could just be a fund that exists and it doesn't need to be yeah. like explicitly. But then the question is, you know, how do you help a historically underestimated group have an on-ramp into this very exclusive world? Sometimes it's being really loud saying, hey, I'm investing in you. But I mean, I think that's exactly why your story resonated with me so much because there's like these unintended consequences of getting capital from something that's trying to do a good job. So you're sort of like now getting to the meat of the thing, which is like, you know, what is actually causing the problem? And is there a better way of solving? Like, are we now just like putting Band-Aid on the symptom? Are we really like addressing the the thing that is causing us bleed? So for me, like the way to like really address these biases is by asking like, how are VCs making decisions in the first place? How do they, you know, look for the opportunities? Just like focus on your own sort of social networks. Do you always go to the same school? We know that, you know, VC funds are very sort of geographically very limited. Like it's a biking distance from, you know, the center of Palo Alto where, you know, most of the deals are made. So maybe that's the problem. Maybe the way that investments are made, there's just a, a fundamental problem embedded in that system. We know that when ambiguity is high, like it is with early stage investments, like we don't have a lot of data to go on, but maybe there is a way of like getting at these biases by asking the same questions. We know from other people's research that male and female founders are asked different types of questions. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's making me actually think about like, I covered a VC firm that only invests based off of data. Like they don't look at anything other than the data of how many, it's AngelList's venture fund. They invest based on how many job applications a certain startup gets from hopeful recruits, which I'm sure is imperfect in a bunch of ways, but I'm waiting to be surprised by someone, to your point, completely turning this process and early stage especially on, yeah, on its head. Yeah. And so how did they do? So at the time where it started, which was last year. So he said, the data-driven approach has led to a greater diversity of the startups, both in mission and founder. The creator of the fund estimates that about half of the founders within the fund's portfolio identify as women. They haven't invested in a ton of companies at that point. Like, we don't know how many, but 50% is much higher. 
than the very embarrassing percent that we see in most <laughs> VC firms. So, I mean, it's like, there you go. I think it's an inkling of what you described. Yeah. So focusing on sort of, you know, tangible measures and metrics. Yes. Instead of like looking at the people, like, are these people who know people who we know or like from what school did they graduate from? So anything that is sort of too easy to use as a sort of first round, you know, heuristic is probably going to lead to more bias. So focusing on something tangible, even if it's a little bit creative, like the one that you you discussed, is probably helping a much better solution than just saying like, oh, okay, we're going to be a fund that only invests in women because that's going to paint the companies, you know. Right. In- Let's stay on the takeaway train for yeah. a sec. And I want to hear how female VCs reacted to your story. And even really what the takeaway is for them. Because if I was a female VC and I was reading this, I could see it hurting my feelings, of course, that maybe my very correct and valid investments in female founders might be hurting them down the road. Um, Not your fault, but yeah, how was it received? And what's the takeaway there? So most female VCs have a pretty thick skin. They wouldn't be in this this business. And these these women are like, they're really, you know, they're smart professionals. And they exactly have the same experience. So obviously there's going to be somebody super, super passionate about like and thinking that they're doing the right thing. Right. You know, they sort of like want to believe in the mantra that they're saying. But like, I would say like 99% of the conversations that we've had with female VCs, like before the piece came out or after the piece came out have been nothing but positive. And they say like, you know, this really resonates. And this is why we are trying to have a more diverse cap table. That's awesome. Also from the point of view that a lot of the female VCs we have been talking with, like the funds that they manage are fairly small. Like they can't like lead to larger rounds. Like they can do, you know, pre-seed or seed, but anything after that, like they just don't have the funds. So they know that to sort of like prepare the startups that they're, you know, investing into the the big rounds, it's better to bring other investors at the early stage. Got it. So I don't think we're saying like, you know, female investors are the problem. It's the very narrow cap table that is the problem. I kind of wrote, yeah. I wrote in my notes. I was like, why can't we just say that men are the problem? And I think you just <laughs> answered it, which is like, it's actually not either or. I think it has to be, it has to be both, both investing in everything. Yeah, it's the absence of men that's the problem. It's not the women that are being the problem. So I would like turn it upside down to like, you know, for any female investors out there and say like, am I being the problem? No, it's the absence of men. So the question is like, why aren't the men at the table? Because we know that when the men arrive, then, you know, the problem, you know, goes away. Is the takeaway for female founders who maybe are listening to this episode and are finding themselves resonate more with female VCs, what's the best mode of action next? Is it just asking your VC to introduce you to more diverse people? I just imagine that's an awkward conversation at times, but clearly an important one to be having. Well, if this sort of gives anybody the impetus to actually have that conversation, I say, you know, we, we you know, our job is done. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's a conversation that anyone should be having anyway. Like why it's a fairly risky thing to just to limit yourself to any just one investor anyway, like and how to choose, right? So if you are being pushed by your investor just to, you know, turn down anybody else, that's probably like a red flag and that's nothing to do with gender. So to sort of have that discussion about who should be at the table is one that one should be having anyway. Yeah. And I think it's on like the female founders too. I'm mm. I'm working on a piece right now about how female VCs are often exclusively pitched from female founders working on issues that women specifically face. And it's kind of like the self, 
you know, you're self-limiting yourself. And I know the female VCs aren't happy about it either. They're like, hey, I don't need to just talk to you about hormonal health. I don't need to just talk to you because you're a female founder. You know, in some ways, it's like we see the bias happen even in this, like, as you once described, like this, like, sister to sister thing. It's sometimes over-indexed on. And I think it has frustrated female VCs as well. Oh, yeah. So you can have a firm where you have five partners and then you have, you know, a female founder marching in. And then it's like, oh, well, you take her because you're a female. You you get, like, it might be completely outside your sort of industry experience and expertise. So there's more to this than gender. So like we should sort of part that and focus on the ideas and the expertise that we have. There's, there's you know, gender is like one of these things that, you know, affects us. But like to go back to the, what else do we bring in then, and then money? That this is sort of yeah. like where the, the mentoring part comes in. And why I actually do think that having a, a diverse cap table is really, really great. Because there is also research that shows that whether we're talking about female students or female professionals, having a female mentor gives you some sort of emotional support that having a male mentor might not give you. There are some topics that are just like easier to discuss with a with another right. woman. Um, you can that's life. You yeah. know, sort of like say like you know I'm experiencing this. Like, am I being crazy or like am I being reasonable? And there are some things that you just you just want to have another you know a female understanding. But this is like why you should you know we should not just limit ourselves to having whether we're talking about you know VCs or mentors or sponsors in the right. in the, in the organization like have both. I think that's such a good way to put it. I think in a world where we're like consuming things by tweets or headlines, it's like very easy to be like, okay, well, now I need to just change all my sources and change my whole network and only talk to male VCs. But I think there's, as you said, such a power in having both, which shouldn't be as complicated, but it is. Like, I think there is like kind of this like want to pick either or or to pick the diverse if you are diverse. You know, I myself love interviewing women a lot. I feel so comfortable with them. But is that going to give me a full perspective on things? No, probably not. No, but the best perspective <laughs> and the most fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, let me end with one last question before we sure. get to the lightning round. Yeah. To put you on the spot a little bit. Yeah. Are there any dream? What's the follow on research here? Are there any like dream data dives that you're thinking about working on as we speak? I don't think this way at all. So that's why I'm like selfishly like, where do you go from here when you're doing research? So sort of to continue the theme of female entrepreneurs and female VCs, one of the ideas that Isabel and I have been sort of kicking around and, and talking about is to look at their networks. So not just sort of the money that follows, but like, and this is actually like one of the big ideas Isabel had, like when she was doing her PhD, is that having, you know, women investing in women could then sort of lead into these pink silos, as she calls it, like where the only networks that you have are from like through your VC. So if you have a VC who's only investing in women, so all of the firms in the portfolio are female founded companies, that makes your world, you know, segregated, like you're not part of the larger ecosystem. So it would be really cool and interesting to see, like, I don't think that we are there yet because, you know, this is yeah. something that, thank goodness, like the numbers are fairly small where we see these like female firms only being funded by female uh, VCs. But if that would be the case, so this is something that in the dream world, like where the resources and data are unlimited, it would be really, really cool to study. Like, what are the consequences besides just money? Like, do you get inferior, you know, legal help? Uh, yeah. Are all your real connections just to other women? Like, what about your clients? Yeah. It's hiring harder. Like, all of the other sort of uh, questions that sort of follow. Okay, very interesting. I would please come back on the show whenever (laughs) you come to any conclusion next. 
Even when I hear the phrase pink silo, it even like, it sits with me wrong, not because of, of your fault, but just because of like, it's hard to like want to combat a gendered problem with a non-gendered solution. And a part of me to be aspirational and naive is like, I wish we didn't have to think about the pink washing that happens, right? Like I wish that that wasn't even part of the conversation because it does then reinforce the idea that female VCs are female first. Not our fault, but you know, just saying it out loud. (laughs) Yeah. So I think this is like one of those topics like where we just need to get more men on board. Like, you know, the moment that they step in and start saying like, this is our problem too, like, and sort of take the step to the champion so that it's not just a women's movement, the sisters helping sisters. Like then I think that, you know, we're then sort of shifting the conversation to the actual problem. Yeah. Totally. And this is something that we see like in organizations that are going through like different diversity and inclusion efforts. As long as it's just in the hands of women, it stays a women's problem. But when men join the movement, it becomes, you know, a problem of the whole organization. So you, you do need like both sides, not to sort of pitting you need buy-in. the sides, you know, against each other. But like, you know, need both men and women tackling these issues so that it gets the right sort of momentum and the, the right type of profile as a problem. Totally. Well, you are now officially a source for me going forward, <laughs> Kaiza. Thank you so much. A pleasure. Let's end with a really quick lightning round. Sure. Okay, perfect. So number one is, what would you be doing if you weren't in the world of research or teaching? All right. So I probably would be a journalist. I enjoy writing. I enjoy research. Like the pace is slightly different, uh, which is a good and a bad thing because then you need to keep cracking. But like, you know, you also have to like, you can't spend all of your time like five years on one piece. But that's only like if, you know, if I needed to get paid, if I didn't need to be paid for my alternative job, it probably would be something like proofreading cookbooks. Oh, I love cookbooks. I I love cooking, but I don't have the time to cook. But I own, like, I have a collection of cookbooks from different countries. And this is like my hobby. I just go through like the pretty pictures. Like, this is what I would do if I had more time. Oh, my God. Anyway. Oh, my God. Um, Well, I'm going to change my last question then and ask you for just based. What cookbook would you recommend to me? I am such a cookbook lover. I have a bunch too, but not in this room. But yeah, do you have any cookbook recommendations just based on the last 35 minutes of talking to me that you would recommend specifically <laughs> to me and my taste buds. I'm vegetarian. That's a hint. So Deliciously by Ella. It's a vegetarian Ooh. cookbook Okay. by, I think she's Swedish or Danish, and she changed her diet based on health problems that she had, like from eating too much refined sugar huh. and meat. And the stuff that she has in her cookbook, are they're just like, they will blow your mind. Oh, okay. So. Done. Well, that's why I love equity. You get everything from cookbook recommendations to double checking a lot of the biases that rule our startup world. Kaisa, thanks again for joining the show. Where can people find you and your research online? So I'm on Twitter, Kaisa Snellman. That's my handle. I occasionally write to the Harvard Business Review and you can also check my writings um, at the Inside Knowledge blog that we, we have. Perfect. I will link all the things in the show and thank you again for joining. Everyone else, we will chat with you as usual on Friday. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thank Thank you. Equity Wednesdays are hosted by myself, TechCrunch senior reporter Natasha Mascarenas. We're produced by Teresa Locansolo with editing by Kel Keller. Bryce Durbin is our illustrator. Alyssa Stringer leads audience development and Henry Pickovet manages TechCrunch audio products. Thank you so much for listening and we'll be back next week.